Isn't it good to be gathered together and, and worship? Come on. In person, online, it's all the same. Uh, I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. There's, there's just something so different. I was saying this in first service, how it's so weird having gone from like preaching only to people to preaching only to a camera for like four months and now be able to preach to you guys. I'm excited. I'm really excited because I, I love being able to see you guys' reactions and, and, and actually talk to people. But I'm so glad to, to be here this morning because I get to continue our, our summer series, Simply. See, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, you, you might not know exactly what I'm talking about, but essentially this summer we decided to do away with a lot of the like nuanced and like in-depth uh, talks about the Bible and whatnot, and to really go back to the simplicity uh, that is in Christ, the simplicity of our faith, and, and talk about like what it actually means to follow Christ. Because so often I find people, myself included, can get so caught up in these things that really don't matter. We get caught up in these debates and these arguments and these, these things that in the light of who God is, it really doesn't matter. And, and so we wanted to dive deep this summer and, and kind of get a firm grasp on what truly matters to faith. And so if you missed the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to hop on our YouTube or Facebook or, or gateway.ac, check out some of the past messages. Not right now, just, just give me a sec here. Um, but after the service is done, check those out. And, and because Pastor Martin has brought some fantastic messages on, on who Jesus is and, and what it means to follow him and, and why what he did matters. And he's brought a fantastic message on who we are in Christ and what it means to be a child of God. And, and last week he brought a message on, on, on the Holy Spirit and, and the power of God that is actually available to us as believers. And it's all fantastic. So I don't encourage you to check that out. But this morning... I want to focus in on a topic that I believe is one of the core aspects of our faith. One of the things that actually truly defines our faith and, and what it means to believe in Christ. I believe it kind of defines who God is. It defines why God would do what he would do. And it defines why God essentially would, would send his son to die on a cross to save people like us who screw up all the time and who have rejected him a million times. And that simply is grace. Talk to you guys about grace. And you see, I think all too often, we as Christians and pastors and theologians and uh, every, people across the entire planet, if you were to ask them, like, what is grace? Each person would give you a different answer. And often it would be like very convoluted. Like, if you go up to a pastor and say, what is grace? Usually you'll get, like, a three-page paper on, like, here's what grace is, and here's the definition in Greek and everything, and you just go on. And, and I think, honestly, uh, I've done this myself sometimes. Um, it's easy to make a simple concept really, really complicated. And it really, like, is annoying at times because when you make a simple concept complicated, it just makes people not care as much. And so I want to focus this morning on simply grace. What is grace? Why does grace matter? See, a while back, I came face-to-face to face with, with what grace is and really what, what it is not. See, I've been uh, married, I've had the privilege of being married for almost two years now, which is pretty exciting. I, I love it. But um, as any married couple in the room and any guy who is being honest knows, guys can be idiots sometimes. Come on. An amen from the, the wives in the room? Come on. You guys are being quiet. <laughs> it's true. Guys can be idiots sometimes. And sometimes what will make or break a marriage is 
is grace. Showing one another grace. Forgiving one another when you, when you screw up. And a while back, I remember like a couple weeks ago, a month ago, I, me and my wife, we were at home and I was busy cooking a dinner and I love cooking. I enjoy it so much. I, I find so much pleasure in it. But sometimes, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you can't. Um, but sometimes when I'm cooking, I find that I can get really, really stressed out. Usually I'm fine. It doesn't matter. I can, I'll just settle into rhythm and I'll be good. But sometimes it'll just be like the most stressful part of my life. I just don't understand why. And it's like I, I, I have this habit of... Or I like going on like sites like HelloFresh and getting meals from, meal ideas from there and not actually buying their products, but just using their recipes. And it's really cool until you get to the part of the recipe where it's like, oh, put one unit of beef broth in. I'm like, what is one unit? That doesn't make any sense. Or you get to a recipe and you're like, oh, there's all the ingredients, there's all the steps, cool. And then you're reading the steps and you're like, wait, they're calling for three extra ingredients that I don't actually have. Why aren't they in the ingredients list? And, and I find those kinds of things get me really, really stressed out in the kitchen. And, and I remember about a month ago, I, I, was, I was busy cooking and I was stressed out of my mind. I don't remember why. I don't remember what the recipe was, but I had things cooking in the oven, things on the stovetop. I was rushing around trying to figure things out. And, and my wife is on the couch and she's playing video games or something. I don't know. And she's like, honey, how's it going? And I'm like, ah, it's fine. I like snap at my wife. And fortunately, she has grace for me. And fortunately, she showed me grace in that moment. And, and, and she's like, okay, well, I'm not going to talk to you. And she's smart enough not to, to bug me too much when I'm frustrated in the kitchen. And, and I'm rushing around, and I'm fumbling, trying to get everything done, because I'm like, oh, I'm going to ruin this meal. I come to the step. It's calling for this really specific spice, that, you know, the ones that come in, like, $7 glass jars, and you're like, you have 30 grams of a spice, and you're like, is this coated in gold or something? Like, what is this really? Um, but it's calling for the specific spice, and so I'm like, ah, I have to get this off the stove in a minute, but I need to add the spice into this before it pulls off the stove. Ah, and I'm like, go to our spice cupboard, and I'm rushing through the spice cupboard, and um, how many of you guys know, like, guys, or, or guys, you, I'm sure you can relate to this, but when we look for something, it usually is never there, Right? Right? Come on. You look for something in particular, it's never there. Your wife asks you to get a bottle of ketchup from the fridge. You've never, literally never seen a bottle of ketchup in your life. You have no idea where it is in the fridge. You can watch, look for eight hours. It is not in there. And then, of course, she comes in, and three seconds later, there it is. But, you know. Um, and, and so I'm doing the typical guy thing, and I'm fumbling through and trying to find the spice. I'm like, ah, it's nowhere to be found. And as I do this, I manage to knock seven or eight glass jars of spices out of our cupboard. I know in the movies where suddenly something crazy happens and everything goes into slow motion, I'm like fumbling through the spice cupboard and, oh no, I'm like trying to grab at them, but of course you're not going to grab seven or eight things of spices. And I watch them tumble down into our sink, which is right below the cupboard. I'm like, no! I'm just picturing, like, spices scattered everywhere, and there's, like, $40 of spices wasted because they're so expensive. And fortunately, I look down, and I see, and I'm like, okay, phew, none of them broke. But then I look over, and I see this mug that my wife loved. 
She'd actually made it herself. She she bought like a mug and then like created a design and cut it out in vinyl and like put it on the mug and like uh, sealed it and everything. And it was this beautiful mug that served as a reminder um, of of who she is in God and how much God loves her and, and whatnot. It, it was this beautiful mug, and I, I it would just happen to be in the sink. And I look over at it and I see one of the spice jars just so happened to have crashed down on the edge of this mug, shattering the lip of the mug. And I'm like, oh no, I'm dead. (laughs) And I don't know why I thought that, because my wife is amazing. She's great. She's very forgiving because she somehow put up with all my crazy stuff, but, but I smashed this mug and I'm like, ah! And honestly, thinking back, I, I think this, uh, my reaction of, oh, no, I'm dead, I'm in so much trouble, I, I think that really comes from, like, growing up, I'm sure you guys can relate to this, but you're always taught, like, follow the rules or else. You do something bad, you get something bad, right? You break the law, you go to jail. You speed, you get a ticket. You break your parents' face, you get grounded. Cheat on a test or don't study for a test. You fail. The consequences of our actions. And it's something that's ground into us, especially through society, especially through school. Um, and, and, and even kids, like young kids, really, really get this principle. Like, you, you ever wonder why kids are like, you have two kids and one's like, Mom, Dad, Bobby broke your face. Well, what do they want? Well, they want their sibling to get in trouble because they're like, they did something bad. They deserve the book thrown at them. They deserve to get in trouble because it's a principle that we innately understand of consequences for our actions. And I see this honestly all the time in youth as well, where we'll, we'll be playing a game and we'll have a couple teams and, and, and the teams are competing to win and they're not competing to win anything. We're not giving them any prize except the satisfaction of winning, and yet I'll have kids who are breaking down in tears, and there's nothing wrong with it. I understand it. I understand getting frustrated and wanting to win and, and getting upset, but, but they'll break down in tears because, oh, the other team, they cheated. I'm like, oh, yeah, like your team did five times over there? Like, really? But they want the other team to be disqualified because they did something bad, and they, they feel like they should be punished. It's the principle of if you do something bad, you get something bad in return. And so with this mug, I'm like, it's an accident, but I broke her mug. Ah! And my first reaction was, oh no, I gotta hide this. And it's just like thoughts flashing through my mind. I'm like, I gotta hide this. I'm gonna hide it somewhere, then I'm gonna throw it out. And then six months from now, when she's like, honey, where, have you seen my mug? I'll just be like, I don't know. It's got to be here somewhere, right? You know, lie about it. Um, I'm like, no, 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 that's not a good idea. My second reaction was, I've got to hide it so I can fix it. And my wife, she, she'd heard this crash, and she's like, Are you, is everything okay? And what I actually ended up doing was, I was like, okay, I've got to be honest. And I was like, dear, uh, I, I, some spices fell out of the cupboard and crashed down into the sink. Everything's okay, but I broke your mug. And I remember she, she got up off the couch and she came over and she looked at it and I was like, oh no, she's going to be upset. She's going to be upset. I'm going to be in trouble. Ah! And she looked at it and she was sad, but she looked at me and she's like, don't worry. I forgive you. You see, that, at its, is, that is, at its simplest form, grace. Because grace is an undeserved gift that is given 
It's a, it's a gift that is given even when we don't deserve it. Something that we receive even when we've disqualified ourselves from receiving it. You see, in terms of, of God, grace is the free gift that God gives us, often referring to like salvation or healing or blessing or things like that. Free gift that God gives us even when we don't deserve it. See, in Ephesians 2, it says this. It says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. We all screwed up. We all ignored what God said to do. And we said, no, screw you, God. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. For it was only through this grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn his salvation, for it was a gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. See, the Bible talks about the consequences of your sin, the consequences of doing wrong is, is death, but the free gift of God is everlasting life, is salvation. And salvation is a gracious gift that God gives us despite us rejecting him, despite us screwing up, despite us making mistakes, despite us doing exactly the opposite of what he tells us to do. It's a gift that he still freely gives. There's this story in the Bible that I really love that exemplifies what, what grace is. And if you've been around a church for, for a while, you've probably heard this story once or twice. And it's about this kid who we like to call the prodigal son. It says in Luke 15, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. You know, right off the bat, uh, this is a pretty crazy story because you have this kid who, I'm just, I just always picture him as being like 15 or 16 years old. He has no idea what's going on in his life, but he thinks he does and just comes along to his dad one day. He's like, hey, dad, you know the money that you've earned all your life that I'll get when you die? Yeah, I wish you were dead right now, so give it to me. Give me my money. Like, how disrespectful. How rude. How crazy. And the father just is like, he rolls over and he just gives the money, which I think is crazy because I'm not a dad. But if I had a kid who came to me and said that, I'd be like, okay, come over here, son. Come on. Yep. Yep. Come over here. We're going to have a conversation. No, you are not going to enjoy this conversation. Yes, this will suck. And no, you will not see a penny of this money. Even when I die, you are out of the will. But this dad's just like, here you go. Here's, here's the money. And I don't know, maybe that's the right thing to do as a dad, but I'll, I guess I'll figure that out when I, when I get there. Um, it says, verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. I just like to picture it as this young kid moves out of the house. He gets all his money, moves out of the house, and immediately goes and he buys like the fanciest car. He buys like a Bugatti. And three days later, he totals it. It's like, crazy. Just in a short period of time, he takes all this, this wealth, all this money, and he just wastes it all. And then it says, about this time, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. 
He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one would give him anything. It's this true, like, riches to rags story of this kid who had it all and lost it all in a moment. And now he's stuck with this job that he hates. He's stuck, like, working at McDonald's for, for $12 an hour, and he just hates it, and it's just this awful job. He's feeding pigs. Not a direct analogy, you know. Um, <laughs> but he's feeding pigs. And as a Jewish kid, this was the most disgraceful thing he could do. And it was the most disgusting job he could do. It was a job that would get him shunned by other Jewish people because pigs were considered unclean and he was busy keeping them alive. It's the, the job that you take that you're like, this is going to disqualify me from any party or social gathering ever again. So verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, I wonder how long that took. Like, I would think after wasting your parents' money, losing it all, and then working, feeding pigs, and not even having enough food for yourself, you'd come to your senses pretty quick. But it just says, when he came to his senses, as if it took a bit of time... But when he came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he had returned home to his father. And I can just imagine this kid He's probably like kicking his way along, taking his time because this is going to be an awkward conversation. This isn't like a, hey, dad, I'm getting married. Yay, we're going to celebrate. This is a, hey, dad, I really screwed up. I messed up. I hurt you. You can just see him like picture him like head down, just fumbling along the road, taking forever. Just like, oh, I screwed up. Oh, I've messed up. Oh, I suck. This is awful. I don't deserve any love. I don't deserve anything my father will give me. I, I, just, I just suck so much. And he's just probably preparing the speech like, Dad, you, you, you have every right to hate me. You have every right to, to kick me out of the house and to just ignore me and just hate on me. Uh, just, just please, you don't even have to pay me. Just, just please take me back in as your servant or even just your slave, Dad. Just anything, please. I just am so hungry. He's got the speech prepared. And then, but it says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Dad, I've messed up. Big time. I insulted you. I told you that I wished you were dead. I took your money. I wasted it all. I've lost everything. You have every right to hate me, Dad. But please, just take me on as your servant. But you know, it's telling. I love this story because it's telling. And it says, while he was still a long way off, the father ran to him. Almost as if Dad wasn't in the fields working, trying to forget. Almost as if his dad wasn't at home playing Xbox, trying to pretend that his son hadn't left him. 
almost as if his dad wasn't like in a rage, scratching his face out of pictures and cutting him out of the family portrait, trying to pretend that his son had never existed because of how hurt he was. No, it said, while he was still a long way off, dad saw his son and he ran to him, almost as if he was waiting, anticipating, just watching for his kid to return. It says he came to him and he hugged him and he kissed him. His son's like, I'm not worthy, Dad. I've screwed up. I don't deserve your love. Take, just take me as your slave. In verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine is dead, was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but is now found. And so the party began. You know, we call this story the story of the prodigal son, but honestly, when, when you look at it, I think it's less about the son and more about the story of this extravagant, loving, gracious father. The father who pursued his kid even when he rejected him. The father who waited for his kid even when he insulted him. The father who ran to his kid even after everything the kid had done wrong, who ran to him and said, guess what? I forgive you. See, this is grace. This is the grace that God gives us, that God has made available to us. This grace is a free gift that God gives us even when we don't deserve it. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation, even when we've screwed up, even when we've rejected him. Grace that provides us with love even when we don't deserve it. Grace that forgives, heals, and loves. But you know, what is astounding to me in this story is the Father doesn't just forgive. He doesn't just stop at forgiveness. The Father forgives, but he also restores. See, the father runs out to his son, and his son launches into the speech of, oh, this is why I don't, I'm not worthy. This is why I don't matter. And, and, but his father isn't listening to him. He's turning to the servants, saying, hey, my son is dressed in rags. This will not do. Go get him a robe. Hey, my son doesn't have any sandals. Go get him some sandals. Oh, and hey, you know how he rejected me. You know how he hurt me. You know how he abandoned me and, and basically said, I don't care about this family. Yeah, guess what? Go get my ring. Yeah, the one that symbolizes that he belongs to this family. The one that symbolizes that he has authority in this family, that he is a son of this family. Go get that ring and put it on his finger. Grace is a free gift that God gives us, even when we don't deserve it. And grace is a gift that restores us to who we were always meant to be. That restores us to children of God. See, despite that we are sinners, that we've messed up, that we've made mistakes, despite all we've done wrong and how we might have rejected God or ignored God or done everything that would disqualify us from a friendship here on earth, despite everything we've ever done, Christ laid his life down for you. Despite everything. He poured out grace for you, even when you don't deserve it, even when you've screwed up, even when you've said no a million times, he still did it for you. 
And I've heard this said a million times, but I love it, is that Christ would have laid his life down for one person. He would have died just for you. If all it meant was that you would come to him, you would believe in him, he would have done it all over again. See, that is simply grace. The grace God has for us. Grace that God simply gives. And you see what's crazy is that the Bible tells us that grace, this kind of grace isn't locked behind like fancy doors or in a vault and you have to do A, B, and C in order to, to deserve it. No, the Bible tells us that grace is a gift that God is freely giving. And all you need to do is accept. All you need to do is believe. All you need to do to receive God's grace is to, to believe in Jesus. And you'll receive it. So right now in this moment, what I want us to do is, if I can get everyone in the room right now to close their eyes and bow their heads. If you're at home, do the same thing. Close your eyes and bow your heads. And if I can get the camera really tight on me, I don't want anything, anyone looking around, I don't want any camera angles looking at the crowd. This is a moment between you and God. But if you're here and you're saying, Darian, I, I don't think I've ever chosen to accept that grace. Darian, I, I don't think I've ever chosen to follow Christ. Darian, I don't, I don't think I've ever chosen to believe in Christ and, and, and to accept him and to follow him. And I don't even really know what that means, but, but I want to. I want to receive God's grace. See, if, that, if, if that's you and you want to believe in Christ and you want to receive that grace, in a moment I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, if you're in the room or if you're at home, I just want you to slip your hand up and put it right back down. One, God loves you. Two, your life will never be the same. Three, if you want to accept Christ and you want to receive that grace, just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Come on. You know, the Bible says that when one person chooses to follow Christ, heaven just rejoices, just throws a party. God is so captivated by, by the one, by the individual, by you. He loves you so much. If you've made that decision here in this room or online, I also want to encourage you just at the end of the service, head to gateway.ac slash connect. And on, on our connect card, there's a box that says, I made a decision to follow Christ. And I just want you to check that. And let us know. Because we want to reach out to you. We want to connect with you. you want, we want to partner with you in this new life that you're living. Last thing I want to do is we close. Everyone, you can open your eyes. But I can actually get everyone in the room right now to stand as well with me. I want to do one last thing. Because I've talked to a lot of Christians about grace. And a lot of people who think that, who believe in Jesus, people who have every, the best intentions and, and, and believe in Christ, but they feel somehow that they've disqualified themselves from grace because they've screwed up too many times. Or they feel like they've abused God's grace because they, they kept doing things wrong and they're like, oh, God can never love me because I've screwed up. I still believe in him, but I don't think he can ever love me. See, if that's you, that's, that's a lie. That's not true. Because grace is just a gift that God freely gives. No matter how many times you need it, He is just freely pouring it out. And all you need to do is believe and He'll continually pour it out. 
So if that's you, I'm not going to get you to raise your hand or come down to the front or do anything that will, that will make you feel awkward. I'm not going to make you do anything like that. All I want you to do in a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I start to pray, I just want to encourage you, if that's you, to just silently say, God, help me encounter your grace. Help me recognize your grace. Pour out your grace on me, just as I pray. Father God, I thank you for all of these amazing people in this room. For all these amazing people who are tuning in online. People who are joining us from across our province, across our country, across the world. Father God, I pray that right now, right here, right now, that your spirit will flow upon each and every one of us. That you will bring us into a revelation of your grace. That each and every person in this room, people who are struggling with grace, who people who feel like they don't deserve grace, people who feel distant from you, God, that you will draw them back and you will remind them, no, there's nothing you could ever do that could separate you from my love. God, I just pray for an outpouring of your love and your grace upon each and every person. That you will remind us every day this week that there's nothing we can do to separate us from your love that you've poured out your grace, that we are loved children of you, not because we deserved it, not because we did the right thing, but simply because we believe. God, I just pray that you will reveal to us every day your grace and your love for us. Pray this all in your name.